Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studios of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, Forever 22, singer, composer, plumber, Mike Patton is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you, it seems like all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> Murmur Radio, M-U-R-M-U-R Radio.com. Download the show, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in radio. Love tune in radio. Social handles at MSF Murmur. Twitter. Instagram, follow the show, follow the updates. This is a show today you're going to want to follow. I have a feeling uh, the modern school of film, I am going to be in uh, Brazil in June, in Sao Paulo, doing a workshop, a filmmaking workshop called Day for Night. We'll be doing one in June in Sao Paulo, one in July in the beautiful city of Vienna. Vienna waits for us. Day for night workshops, craft classes during the day, guest lectures with guests from Brazil, from Vienna, at night, thus day for night. For all the information, modernschoolofilm.com. You can also email the show directly, murmurradio at gmail.com. It's a great way to communicate with me directly. If you have a topic that you'd like me to investigate on the show, email me the topic and I will match that topic with a guest. I will not let you down. (laughs) I will also bring you on the show to chat a little bit about why you chose the topic and what you thought about the guest. Murmur Radio, it's all happening. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. So today, if I had a drum, I would roll it. Sounds like a Peter, Paul, Mary song. Um, If I had a drum, I would roll it because we have a really exciting show today and I'm honored to be presenting today's show. Today on the show is Mike Patton. If that wasn't cool enough beans for you, we are going to world premiere, yes, world underscore world premiere, 
a track from Mike's upcoming score that he did for the film 1922. 1922 was a Netflix film that Mike scored, directed by Zach Hilditch, based on the novella by Stephen King. Incredible performances, an amazing performance, like a come-to-Jesus performance by Thomas Jane. The score is coming out in two months. However, we are going to world premiere one of the tracks from the score. Mike has asked us to do this. And yeah, when he asked us, when his team reached out and said, hey, do you want to have Mike premiere a track from the score on the show? If it was possible to leap through my email and say yes, I would have done that. It's not possible. Al Gore, I think, is working on that, but it's not possible. Duh, I think, was the response. So, man, this is an honor. Yes, we're going to talk to Mike. Enough of an honor to premiere one of his tracks later in the show. Double the honor. Welcome to Murmur. Mike Patton. Where do you begin with Mike Patton? Mike is a guest I've wanted to have on the show, frankly, since the show started. He doesn't do a lot of these chats. He doesn't do a lot of public speaking in this way. He doesn't do a lot of interviewing. So again, triple the honor. A, Mike Patton. B, world premiere. C, that he doesn't do this often. So that's a pretty decent Sunday to start with. And it's not even Sunday. Where do you begin with Mike Patton? The bands. We don't have enough time in the show to talk about the bands he has architected, sung for, masterminded, evil genius. My favorite, I think, is Mr. Bungle. And I'm not saying that just to not say Faith No More, but Mr. Bungle is really amazing. So go back and revisit the Mr. Bungle years. But yes, Faith No More, Tomahawk, Dead Cross, General Patton versus the Executioners. Uh, his work with John Zorn, his work with Dillinger Escape Plan, Hemophiliac. Yes, I've left some of his bands off that list because it's a perfect segue into how I want to segue into Mike. Mike loves movies. This just in. The band names of Mike that I left out were Fantomas, a supergroup that he helped author with Buzz Osborne, friend of the show Buzz Osborne, Trevor Nunn, Dave Lombardo. We'll talk more about Fantomas today with Mike. Also, Lovage with Dan the Automator, amongst others. 2001, the Lovage album, Music to Make Love to Your Old Lady by, has these amazing homages to music, Hitch, amongst others. Songs called Lifeboat, Strangers on a Train, and Stroke or Ace, of course, the Lonnie Anderson, uh, Burt Reynolds vehicle, which has nothing to do with Hitch, but just is really cool to include. So Lovage, yet again, another musical cinephilia moment for Mike Patton. There's also, I don't think this group was an homage to cinema, but when I read it, knowing Mike's cinema love, I thought the incredible album 2006 Peeping Tom, which essentially is an experiment in uh, swapping song files with folks like Nora Jones and Massive Attack and Kid Koala. But when I saw Peeping Tom, I thought, oh, Mike loves Peeping Tom, Michael Powell, of course. <laughs> Not to mention Mondo Kane. Mondo Kane is a stage persona Mike adopted uh, within the last decade, and he tours under the moniker of Mondo Kane, which is an Italian crooner singing in Italian. Mondo Kane is the famous or infamous uh, faux documentary that really gave birth to the term Mondo, Mondo Cinema. So yet again, reading the tea leaves, we could ask Mike about this today, but Mike loves movies. This just in. Uh, there's also the scoring work Mike has done. Done. 1922 is not Mike's first score. 2009, he did the score for Crank, High Voltage. Crank. I love Crank. I love that word, Crank. Then he did 2012, a slightly less cool but no less poetic film title, Place Beyond the Pines, which also had Morricone 
music on that score. Not to mention the Morricone work that Mike has helped midwife. Epicac Records released Crime and Dissonance, which is this incredible two-disc retro on Morricone's work. It's probably the most comprehensive uh, retrospective cataloged on Morricone. And I want to talk to Mike about Morricone. Today's episode, I warn you, may be 15 hours long. <laughs> Pull up a chair. <laughs> so those are the bona fides, as if you needed them. Those are the bona fides. One small brick in the wall, though, before we march down the long hallway and talk to Mike. It's interesting. We are in a golden, gilded age of incredible musicians with their own pelts on the wall, their own legacies, creating soundtracks where musicians are, so to say, comfortably numb doing soundtrack scores. And I think we're the better for it. I don't know how traditionally schooled composers feel about this, and it'd be a cool episode to engineer one day. But in the meantime, we're here great musicians, musicians with incredible legacies and who don't really need to do scoring, so to say, professionally need. They want to do it. And that's a cool bit of trigonometry. They don't need to score. They want to score. And I think that brings out something interesting in the score. But you be the judge when 1922 comes out, but also today when we premiere, world premiere, did I mention that? One of the tracks from 1922. Cinema love can be an obstacle. It can be an obstacle to everyday life, so they tell me, <laughs> but it can also be an obstacle to craftspersonship in the sense of you can love cinema too much to beta block, to forget all the other references, all the other reference points, all the other films, all the other sounds you've heard. You can also love cinema too much to not want to get involved in it and not fuck it up. Mike loves cinema. It's pretty clear. I think we've made our case, counselor. But how does he compartmentalize that cinema love when he creates cinema art? Cinema love has sandbagged a thousand careers. It hasn't sandbagged Mike. Again, Mike doesn't need to score. He seems to want to score. It's the best disposition to want to do anything. There's a difference between being desperate and being passionate. Mike isn't desperate to do this. He's passionate about doing this. And it served him well. I think the score is amazing. I've been able to listen to it all week. Ha ha. <laughs> You'll have to wait a couple of months. We're also in this new age of scoring where we don't listen to scores in cinemas anymore. We listen to it with earbuds and noise-canceling headphones and wireless headphones and wireless noise-canceling headphones. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> we don't hear it the same way. I actually think this is a boon for composers. We could talk to Mike about that as well. 1922 was not a cinematic rollout. It was a digital rollout. We see and hear the score on our laptops. We see and hear the score on our phones. How does this sit with Mike? We'll talk to Mike about that. I, I warn you, did I say 15 hours double that? Uh, we're going to be here 30 hours. As I said earlier, Mike's someone I've wanted to have on the show in full disclosure since the show started. So this was an amazing opportunity. And as I said, he doesn't do a lot of these talks. And I love... Those opportunities, I love those moments, and it's not simply the honor and the humility that I feel in being able to talk to Mike today. It's kind of the, what's it going to be like? <laughs> I get the good butterflies. You know, there, there are different kinds of butterflies. There are the good butterflies and the what I call the Clarice Starling butterflies, you know, <laughs> when you're warned what not to do. <laughs> but talking to artists who don't normally do that is kind of like playing Operation, you know? You don't want to touch the sides, <laughs> but I actually think of it like reverse operation. Instead of taking the organs out, I'm trying to put the organs back in. So today on the show, we're going to put the organs back in. We're going to put Mike Patton's cinema organs back inside his body. <laughs> I think he'd appreciate that uh, metaphor. Lots of metaphors, lots of movie talk, lots of sounds. Oh, and have I mentioned the premiere of 1922? Today on the show, Mike Patton, world premiere. So honored to be here. 
So honored to have you here. Mike Patton coming up. Now this. We've tried to study him, of course, but he's much too sophisticated for the standard tests. Oh my, does he hate us. Thinks I'm his nemesis. Crawford's very clever, isn't he, using you? What do you mean, sir? Pretty young woman to turn him on. I don't believe Lecter's even seen a woman in eight years. And oh, are you ever his taste, so to speak. I graduated from UVA, doctor. It is not a charm school. Good, then you should be able to remember the rules. Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. You pass him nothing but soft paper. No pencils or pens. No staples or paper clips in his paper. Use the sliding food carrier. No exceptions. If he attempts to pass you anything, do not accept it. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand, sir. I'm going to show you why we insist on such precautions. On the afternoon of July 8, 1981, he complained of chest pains and was taken to the dispensary. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. When the nurse leaned over him, he did this to her. The doctors managed to reset her jaw, more or less, save one of her eyes. His pulse never got above 85, even when he ate her tongue. I keep him in here. Dr. Chilton, if Lecter feels over his animal, then, um... Well, maybe we'll have more luck if I go in by myself. What do you think? You might have suggested this in my office and saved me the time. Yes, sir. Then I, I would have missed the pleasure of your company, sir. When she's finished, bring her out. Don't get near the glass. Yes, you did. Clarice Starling. Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you, Clarice. You can hang your coat up there if you like. Oh, thank you. I will. He's past the others. The last cell you keep to the right. I put out a chair for you. Oh, yes. That's very good. Thank you. I'll be watching. You'll do fine.
When you have Latin words in your professional bio, that's a pretty rarefied air. I do? You know, Mike, when the Latin words are et and cetera next to each other, uh, you know you've done a you know you've done a shit ton and a shit ton of cool stuff. My favorite idea that he authored, though, he once likened his style to that of a plumber. I actually think that's perfect. One of his most recent cool plumbing jobs was given birth to a year ago, and now will be given birth to again in record form. We are honored to be the premier spot for it. It's the Netflix Stephen King adaptation of 1922. It's an incredible film, incredible performances, but the sound is what turns me on the most in the experience. This was not his first score nor his first rodeo. Here to discuss the joys and the loneliness of the long-distance plumber is the star of the film Firecracker, who also does a mean Mia Farrow. Please welcome to Murmur, Mr. Mike Patton. Hey, Mike, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, Rob. (laughs) So you do do a mean Mia Farrow. Has she ever told you that? I mean, have you run run into her? I'd have to get Frank's permission, I guess. <laughs> and he's dead, so. <laughs> it's funny, you're right. That's that's like the story of Rosemary's Baby. It's, it's that he, she, def- exactly. she defied yeah, him man. to do that movie. Thank God. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's as ballsy as Thank anyone. God she did, because yeah. Exactly. Bless the rest of us. It's still Frank's world, man. We're all just paying rent, basically. I know, dude. I know, man. <laughs> Let, let's start with a little, uh, the soundtrack is amazing. Which soundtrack? <laughs> <laughs> the new more Cody one. No, 1922. Silly. Thank I mean, you, man. I hate to say congrats, but congrats on the Bouncing Baby soundtrack. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally just approved uh, the CD proofs like 10 minutes ago. So it's finally like out of my hair. I appreciate, you know, the congratulations. <laughs> no, man, I know it's like giving birth. So yeah, is, it, yeah. is it strange that the movie came out a year ago that to have this other like earthquake ripple a year later? Or is that just kind of part of the, well, the I mean, gig? to be honest, I wanted to do it like simultaneously, but it just wasn't like feasible. Yeah. Um, you know, film companies or even, I, mean, I guess you can call Netflix a a film company now and the record business work on very different timelines. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was like trying to rush it and rush it and rush it, but it didn't happen. So, you know, Hey, yeah, I just want a document of what I did. I retained the rights to do that. And, and, so I'm, I'm really happy. I tell my students every movie is a documentary. So I would imagine every film score pretty much is a documentary. Absolutely. Every Little... record, every record, every band, every every piece of art is kind of you're just documenting what you're doing and you're you're leaving a little breadcrumb trail of where you've been and maybe where you're going. It's funny. I just had Thurston Moore on the show and we were lamenting the loss of the uh-huh. word record. You know, I know a lot of people like who love it still use it. I still use it. He still uses it. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Weird, right? It's just the perfect <laughs> word. It's literally a record of time. Talk about some of your earliest movie watching memories. Were you a, a, a child of movies? Was it a family thing? Was it a subversive thing? Was it like swapping VHS tapes? What were some of the first ideas that turned you on or the first movie image that turned you on? I mean, no. Uh, I had no sort of family background in film or anything like that. I just kind of got turned on to them. I grew up in a really small town. Eureka. Movies to me were like a way out. You know, it was an escape valve. And so like, you know, I remember, you know, having my parents drop me off uh, 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 at movies all the time. And it'd be like slasher films, like, you know, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Ah, Susan Terrell. Love that movie. One of the great batshit crazy performances of all times. And a young Bill Paxton, actually. The film was re-released in the U.S. as Night Warning. 
sorry. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And you know, I wouldn't tell them what I was seeing, and they'd just say, okay, well, yeah, I'll pick you up in a couple hours. <laughs> and uh, But Star Wars was also one of those as well, oh, like cool. the first Star Wars. Even though, like, I go back and look at it, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, I think a part of it actually... You know, this is before I was a, you know, a musician, quote unquote. I think that what I was doing was listening more than watching. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my early experience with film was more, I think, auditory than visual. So shocking. So terrifying. So powerful. Night Warning has been named Best Horror Film of the Year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Billy and Julie. Young. Innocence. In love. It was all a mistake. They didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. Without knowing, they've uncovered a deadly secret. By accident, they've stumbled onto a grisly murder. Now, they know too much to live. A chilling tale of a young boy and girl, innocent victims, now, targets of a frenzied obsession with murder. See the award-winning Night Warning. Just a sidebar, I can't let that one go for all the fans who listen. Do you think Star Wars has aged in a, in a janky way? Just... It's, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Mm. I just, I don't like to look at it, but it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I guess my yeah. eyes have changed, you know, I've gotten older and, you know, I wear glasses now, so I just, I don't know, I somehow, uh, something in, in, in that realm has changed. Uh, yeah. But the auditory part of it, you know, the audio, yeah, I still really, like, hear it and feel it. But whatever. Exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't, the word janky doesn't apply to me, because I watch all sorts of films, and, and there's lots of things that are, you know, uh, hard to believe uh, in, 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 in the realm of a plot or whatever, but you put up with it. And yeah. Because what are you really, why are you there? The experience and for the overall big picture. And it's the same thing for like a musician, man. It's like, you know, when, you, when you're talking to a director and he's like, okay, I really want some romantic thing here. Or, or what you do is you go, okay, okay, that really, that's really cheesy, but what's the big picture? Mm. So you, 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 your, your vision sort of spreads out and you start thinking a little less inside of your head and more as a part of a team. When you go to the movies or even historically and you experience the score of the movie, have you been distracted? And is that a bad thing necessarily? I mean, sometimes the score can... Oh, hell no. Right. I want to be distracted by music. However, it's hard to create a soundtrack, at least in my experience, where a filmmaker, a director wants something that's distracting they usually want it very background and very very uh you know underscored and and it's very rare when you get the chance to like do something like you know as a musical statement as opposed to a visual one um so but i i yeah i love that whenever there are, are moments like that like i think uh shit uh under the skin remember that film oh yeah 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 that music was used really, really, I think, intelligently. Um, was it Glazer that did that? Yeah, who's yeah, incredible yeah. with music and image, obviously. And Mika, uh, who did the who did the score, is amazing. I'm a huge fan of her. What is it, fucking... Oh, Jackie. The Jackie Onassis one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's great. Yeah. It's totally great. It, it's where the music sort of com- comes to 
foreground and becomes a character. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's wonderful, but there's very few directors that are willing to go there, you know. Well, two scores I know you're a big fan of are The Conversation, the Coppola film and The Third Man, Oliver Reed. Again, I think sure. the scores are characters there. Talk a little bit about your yep. attachment to those two. Uh, you know, there's so much cool stuff around uh, why Oliver Reed used the zither in uh, Third Man, but t- talk about those soundtracks as maybe part of the ethos of you being a lover of score. Why did those scores really resonate with you? Well, because they were they were foreground. Yeah. They, were, they were, like I said, you know, characters, and then you you got to know them in a certain sense. Like I remember hearing Third Man going, "What the fuck is that instrument? What is that?" You know. Yeah. So you dig deeper, yeah. and then you figure it out. And it, like to me, that's it's sort of the way you would watch a film, right? Like, who is this guy? You know, who's this criminal or who is this detective? And you kind of dig deeper, and you kind of you 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 sort of I don't know, either fall in love or fall out of love with them. But you get to, there's, there's an internal, um, the machinery mm, yeah. <laughs> that, that drives you into a film or a piece of music or a record or, you know, whatever. And, and I think that's really important. And those scores have that thing. Like they really do. What kind of a spy do you think you are, Satchel Foot? What are you tailing me for? Cat got your tongue? Come on out. Come out, come out, whoever you are. Step out in the light and let's have a look at you. Who's your boss? Sounds was heute nie überhaupt ein. Sind Sie deppert? Ja, Sie meine ich schon nicht so blöd. Eine Frechheit ist das nicht, nicht am Nacht zu einem Krawall zu machen. Harry. Funny, the third man, just to buttonhook this, um, they didn't have the instrumentation till they were shooting. So Oliver Reed and I think Wells. Is that true? Yeah, they were they were shooting. In the middle of shooting, wow. they went out to a cafe one night and they heard uh, Karas playing the zither. And, and Karas spoke no English. He only spoke German. And was really reluctant. Unreal. They flew him to London, and he recorded 40 minutes of score, and the rest is cinema history. I mean, The Third Man. I mean, The Third Man, I, I know people who, like, get al- an allergy over that score, but I love it. Do people, you, like, get mad about it? Yeah, they think it's, like, 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 either too on the nose or a little on the cheesy side. Or Well, look, I mean, that's, like, revisionist history. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah. It work, does it work with what's going on in the film? Does it work uh, for the mood? Are we setting a mood here? Right. And I think it does, like, just beautifully. I don't know who could, like, argue with that. Yeah, they're, they're, those people are dead to me anyway. They're not my friend. They're not my real friends. <laughs> You're my real friend. Uh, we're speaking with Mike Patton here on, on Remember. Talk a little about, you know, we're in this kind of new soundtrack nation, I think. We're, we're reclaiming yeah. the soundtrack as a thing, like, we can put under our pillow and listen to at night. I don't it's, know. I always yeah. did. Yeah. I always did. So yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's changed or... Whether there's more acceptance for it now. Um, it's kind of sexy, but, though. There's a mondo, you know, and you know something about mondo. Uh, there's a mondo to it. <laughs> there's kind of a mondo to it. You know, companies are putting out the James Horner soundtrack to Alien with a xenomorph blood in the vinyl. 
you know, maybe. Oh my God, they you, are. Well, do wow. You, do you think I didn't know that? Wow. Do, do you think there's a relate to wit? Do you think there's a relationship? I would buy that. <laughs> hey, dude, I'll send it to you. You know, to wit. Do you think there's a relationship between vinyl and soundtracks? Give us the current wisdom on soundtracks. Um, are they cousin Oliver in the Brady Bunch, or are they? Or they should we look at them with the ears that we listen to and look at any record? That's the way that I would say it, and that's the way I always thought. Yeah. Um, like they influenced me in a way. I mean, kind of in reverse. Meaning, a lot of bands I was in, we wanted to sound like a soundtrack composer, which we weren't because we were like a five-piece or four-piece band. <laughs> You know what I mean? So like, yeah. um, we respected like like one of the things I remember like really like tripping out on was like uh, I I can't really name one, but like if I'm going to like with my band Mr. Bungle, we you know we wrote you know a bunch of music, but but we were really really into soundtrack music, mm. and and I think the reason that that we were attracted to that was kind of like if you get a score like say Jerry Goldsmith's our man Flint or in like Flint. Incredible. Either one. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely amazing. Incredible. But every time you drop the needle, it's a different sound. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's an orchestral piece, then there's an ambient piece, then there's a bossa nova, then there's a, you know, whatever. And like that kind of thing really, really inspired me personally, but I think also that particular band. And Fade No More as well. Like, like shit, we covered Midnight Cowboy, you know? <laughs> Um, oh, and also the way uh, hearing you talk about that process, you know, we need a little more Paris, Texas here. We need a little more, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, we use film imagery. Right. Not even Rye Cooter, not even Rye Cooter, but a Harry Dean Stanton. No, 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 no. Right. We need a Harry Dean Stanton. Think about that. Right. Think about the guy in the porno shop in Paris, Texas. Right. Boom. Right. That's what it sounds like. Or think about David Lynch, uh, you know, Morricone, or whatever, you know, like right. even Tarantino. <laughs> um, you just say, okay, it needs to be like this. So all it is is really a method of communication. Mm -hmm. And for musicians that, at least in my world, for the most part, don't read music, we need those type of, you know, references. And it makes sense, especially with Fate No More, my God. It's always like, hey, man, imagine uh, that karaoke scene in, uh, you know, some film or, like you said, Paris, Texas. Like, we use that a lot. In this godforsaken valley, I'm talking about from the range of my boys right here, clear out to the goddamn Mojave Desert, and beyond that, clear out past Barstow's. And everywhere else in the valley, all the way to Arizona, none of that area will be called a safety zone. There will be no safety zone. I can guarantee you the safety zone will be eliminated, eradicated. You will all be extradited to the land of no return. It's a navigation to nowhere. And if you think that's going to be fun, You've got another thing coming. I may be a slime bucket, but believe me, I know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm not crazy. And don't say I didn't warn you. I warned you. It's really powerful for musicians, at least in my ilk. 
What, I know you've talked about Alphaville as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the narrator in Alphaville. I wish I could talk like that. I mean, Jesus oh, man, Christ. Dude. Could you imagine that? That would be amazing, yeah. dude. You know what that was? It was a guy with his throat cut. Yeah. I wouldn't go to that length, but I mean, a guy can dream, can he? <laughs> I even, um, <laughs> Sorry. yeah, I got so inspired by that, I wrote a whole piece for it, for Mr. Bungle. We never released it, um, and I called it, I wanted to call it Alphaville, but I thought that was too obvious. I called it Novel Vague. Oh, man, that's awesome. And, and uh, yeah, it's like a 14-minute like piece. And and I use that dude's voice in the middle of the of the of the piece. It's crazy. I always talk about that movie with my students, not to go down the rabbit hole, but it has some of the great location names of all time. Mathematical Park. Can you imagine <laughs> exterior Mathematical Park night? I mean, come on. I mean, that's just you know from another. But Godard was like kind of fucking with people. Like that was his version of an American like sort of spy so, film, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, even the name Lemmy Caution. You know. <laughs> It was sort of an inside joke to him, but he's still, you know, yeah. I wanted that movie to be better than it was, but it's a great... I mean, it, How could it be better? I wish it was about 15 You're minutes. You're not a Godard long. guy. I am, actually. Okay. That period... But how can you not like that one? I like it. I wanted to like it more. You know, it's a different kind of homage than Breathless. It's a parody. It's more comic book. It's sci-fi it's like noir. Tracy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. It's it's not Al Pacino, mm. Dick Tracy. <laughs> thank God. Um, Alpha Sanko. Quel est votre nom? Ivan Johnson. Où êtes-vous né? À Nueva York. Quel âge avez-vous? Je ne sais pas, 45 ans. Votre marque de voiture? Ford Galaxy. Qu'est-ce que vous aimez par-dessus tout? L'or et les femmes. Que faites-vous dans Alphaville? Un reportage pour Figaro Pravda. Vous avez l'air d'avoir peur. No, je n'ai pas peur. You know, this is the problem with, this is one, one of the reasons I've, you've been on my kind of, uh, you know, light a candle, hope he comes on the show list, is because I knew we could geek out on any corner of this. Um, but I want to get back a little bit to band and DNA. This is one of the things I've been jonesing to ask you about as we lead up to debuting music from 1922 soundtrack is Fantomas. Buzz uh, has been on our show. And one of the things I love about Buzz is oh, he, cool. he can wax. What did, he, what did he talk about? Well, he waxed philosophic about John Huston. And any oh, he's really in love with Houston, man. Treasure of Sierra Madre, yeah. that's like his favorite film. Like you, you know, I'll use the plumber analogy. I think Houston was, he was a brawler, but he was a plumber. And those films are really well-made films, and Buzz talked about that. Mm-hmm. But talk a little bit about the four of you, Buzz and Trevor and Dave, the, the director's cut, which... 2001, your second release. What was the chicken or egg there? When did the light bulb come out? Like, oh, director's cut, let's do some cool covers and do it our way. To be honest, it was kind of me. <laughs> um, that, um, I, th- I think it came out of, uh, you know, covering a lot of film music with Mr. Bungle and, yeah. you know, just being a fan of the stuff. And I thought, I thought it'd be really cool, especially with a band like that, to do those really revered themes, but with respect, with, with an appropriate amount of respect, but also license. Yeah. Like you yeah. have to take a little bit of license because, hey, if there's something that's perfect already, don't touch it, you know? Yeah. yeah. You need to make it something else, but you have to do it really carefully and really delicately, I think. Uh, like, like, for instance, the Mancini theme, or I actually we did two Mancini themes on that one. But like experiment and terror, 
Like, like, what are you going to do to that? Mm. Like, how can you possibly even put your fingerprint on that? <laughs> well, you got to be more aggressive. On other ones, you know, you kind of lay off a little bit. Or the godfather, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah. well, I'm going to fuck this up. There's a line, a very, very thin line, I think, when you interpret someone else's music. Yeah. And in that band, it was kind of like, I just came up with the arrangements and, and they played them. You know, it's fun to play with Sacred Cows, but I, I want to see the cow a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you also, Whoa. well, yeah, exactly. You, to me, what, what I found mm-hmm. fascinating, and this will tiptoe a little bit into 1922, is the work you guys did on Night of the Hunter for two reasons. I think that in terms of a use of music as a film, that's Legion, that film. Um, I had Leslie Feist on the show, and she goo-goo-ga-ga'd in a great way over Night of the Hunter and that music. Really? Wow. Maybe this is a 1922 prelude, but the American Gothic thing, you know, the sounds of it, Mm. um, Mm. does that have a sound? You know, I I was thinking of um, how Morricone did Days of Heaven, which is was an interesting marriage cinematically. Yeah, very. Is very. that does that world turn you on a little bit? Yeah, there's no there's no world that really turns me on or off. I mean, hey, I look at images or you know I I feel a vibe and then I just kind of do it and and it's there's a lot of trial and error and that's why I say going back to the plumber thing, it's not like I'm an artist. I'm a fucking craftsman, you know. If I'm a woodworker. Hey, you know you mess up a couple times and then you kind of figure it out. You carve it this way, oh, that's not going to work. Or you find a certain screw that doesn't uh, fit in, then you find, you know, you make another one. Yeah, in that case, uh, that's pretty much what happened. I mean, with Night of the Hunter, dude, I mean, like, seriously, that was almost an afterthought. Like, (laughs) I just, I really love that film, and Mm -hmm. I, I kept looking for, like, things, oh, how can I take? like a piece of this music and and reinterpret it and we did but it wasn't it wasn't really that far out no I mean, not at all or like an intro we used it as a, like an interlude it rocks right into <laughs> uh, cape fear. fear right it rocks right into it and it rocks into it in such a way that it, it feels like a spectrum you know and i'm not saying that you meant to stitch it in but it's beautiful i love the, the no i did <laughs> well then then god bless america because i think it's a really incredible <laughs> a transition the way you did no, that literally just like hey this is cool and intro that I really want to use and I love the words and it's really creepy you know with a children's choir and whatnot um, and uh, yeah so we used it as basically as that I just thought that film was important. Um, and also because, um, who was it, Lawton? Charles Lawton. Lawton did that? Yeah, his only film. His yeah. only film. The only film he ever did. The, yep. The, exactly. crit, the critics took such the piss out of it that he, his wife said he, he was so damaged by the critics, he never wanted to direct again. <laughs> 
ever. Oh my God. And it's one of the great films. That, it's one of the, yeah, exactly. In terms of generations of acting, you have Lillian Gish, one generation, Robert Mitchum, another mm-hmm. generation, kids, Shelley Winters, multi generations in the Winters, same film. That's right, yeah. It is a miracle. It's German expressionism. Yeah, is, is, completely. That's free yeah. song. I mean, that yeah. is, before we get into the, the guts a little bit of 1922, speaking with Mike Patton in our midbeat here, yep. tell me, you know, I, I always wonder one of the, one of the trials of working in movies is we start as fans usually before we become practitioners. And I'll, I'll give you my clunky example. Like I can give a kid a flute and they can kind of figure out you know, a flute. But movies, we have to kind of have a development piece. And in a weird way, that makes us a fan. And it also makes us ripe for failure in expectation. Here's my question. Before you started scoring, were you reluctant to score because you were a movie lover? No, no, not, not, no, not at all. Hmm. The only doubts that I had were, could I fucking handle it? Hmm. You know, like, yeah. because I just, you know, I, I know a lot of people that, that work in that medium. And pretty much all I ever hear hear from them is it's a fucking nightmare. You're dealing with people who have no idea about music and you have to have really, really thick skin. Oh man. (laughs) And that like kind of scared me a little bit, but I'm like, well, you know, how do you find out? Well, let's do one. Mm -hmm. So I did a short film, like, I don't know how many years ago. So that was my, like me dipping my toes into the water. And and it was fucking great. It was totally great. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep keep trying this stuff. And, you know, it's difficult sort of because I'm not a full-time film composer for sure. And I, I don't think I'll ever be. There's still something sort of fascinating about it. And I can't exactly tell you what that is. That's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, that's but interesting. there's still something that pulls me back to it. it, it even with nightmare experiences and and great experiences. It's just like somehow it's just something that I feel it's a medium I feel comfortable in and I want to keep doing it. And, and, you know, we'll see, but you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not a full time dude. Cause I got like, you know, You're too 15 sick. bands and things and going on like something that I do when I, when I'm not doing that, when I'm not on tour or where I'm, Hey man, if you write music, if you're an artist, if you're a painter, if you're a, a you know, a, a, a plumber, <laughs> You're always looking for something, you know, you're always looking for an opportunity to kind of get it out there. Yeah. I mean, um, I've done commercials, video games, like all sorts of stuff, and they're all kind of rewarding in their own weird ways. Is Pinion ever going to be in the... Oh, no, no, that one's dead. That wasn't heartbreaking enough to not do it again, because that was, that was 2005. Yeah, maybe even sooner. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, look, a lot of these things, it took me a while to get, to get used to it, because like... Just in the music world with people that I work with, hey, you got a project, someone calls you or you call somebody, hey, it's on. Yeah. You know, we're going to yeah. do this and it's going to be in like three days and, and that's it. There's no mystery in it. In the film world, however, <laughs> a lot of projects get, get proposed to you that actually will never happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's, that's right. sort of like something that, you know, it, it does like pull at your heartstrings at times where you're kind of going, man, what the fuck? Do they mm. not like me or... Mm. What is going on here? Am I getting jerked off or, you know? Ah, it's blood sport. And all you have to do is just like, hey. And, and I kept remembering what friends of mine told me is, dude, have a thick skin. Half of the shit that you're going to get proposed for or even agree to do will never happen. Yeah. Because it's a giant endeavor, you know, and it's an endeavor that basically lasts a number of years. Whereas where I come from in music, hey, man, we'll make a record in a week. <laughs> 
it'll be out in a couple months. Yeah. Done. Yeah. So, it, like, I really do have to say that in my film experience, I admire the tenacity and the just the crazy patience that a director or a composer or anybody who's involved in it has to have because it involves so many goddamn people, hundreds and hundreds of people. What I normally do involves like five people. <laughs> so it's very, it's, it's, it's a lot quicker and a lot more immediately satisfying. Uh, the film thing, like you got to really like adjust your perspective. And and music can get cut out of a film. I mean, it's like if you oh, score for if you score <laughs> well, an hour, it, to, <laughs> well, that's, it will. That, that's that's ground zero in the sense of like your favorite, your favorite. <laughs> but I don't mind that. Yeah, really? yeah, I don't mind that. Interesting. Yeah, not at all. You are a plumber. When I submit something, I know that it could be chopped or used as a reference for something else, or maybe even another composer if I get fired. Yeah. But guess what? I created it. And to me, that's good enough. The one thing I was thinking about as a challenge, potentially, you tell me, you know, fight this back when you were jumping into it and was timing, you know, <clears throat> composers are such a slave to timing and back timing. And it's probably even worse yeah. with television scoring. And you've done such incredible improvisation work, man, whether it's vocal improvisation, uh, musical, you know, work with John Zorn. Um, was that an interesting mask to wear? Like, we need a 30-second cue. We need a 40-second cue. And, you know, talk about Morricone with Leone. Um, I'm Italian, so I can rhyme Guido names. Italiano. Si, si. Parli italiano un po'. Parli. Un po'. Siciliano. No sono italiano. Siciliano is different, as you know. The Godfather was a documentary, but that's not the point. The point is, Leone let the movie go long. One of the reasons why his movies were long, thankfully, was the music. The legend was is that he actually, and this is what every composer like kind of dreams about, is that he heard... Ennio's music and then cut scenes to the music, which like, I don't think really ever, maybe ever happened. <laughs> was that, was but that... that's the legend. That's the legend of it. And yeah. I, I met Ennio and I asked him oh, and wow. he said, yeah, that was true. He goes, I wanted him, I gave him all this music and then I wanted him to cut the film to the music. Just fucking genius. I mean, honestly, but, but nobody really uh, does that. Even I've even worked on films where they said they were going to do that, but it didn't really happen. You know what I mean? Well, he also talked about, I don't know if you talked to him about Hateful Eight. He said working with Tarantino was so... No, no. no. He called it perfect. I met him before that. He called working with Tarantino perfect. He was critical of Tarantino when Tarantino first used his music and soundtracks, but when they worked together on... I was about to say, I remember him talking yeah, about... Yeah, he was. And, he, yeah. and then Tarantino invited him, invited him, asked him, probably begged him by Carrier Pigeon to, or Gondola <laughs> to... To um, do the score for Hateful Eight, and he agreed, and it was nominated for an Oscar. But but um, Mar they asked Morcone about that experience. Morcone quote called it perfect because he gave me no huh. no cues, no guidelines. He he didn't so tell great. me anything so about it, yeah. and he loved it. So tell me a little bit about that. Not not specific to 1922, but I'm going to use this in a, in a kind of clinical way. The rigidity film is a rigid form, as you know, and music is too. They're both rigid in different ways, but the rigidity of fitting score into imagery. Was that an interesting challenge or was that kind of like, get me the F out of here? I don't have a really good answer because it's different for every experience that I've had. Yeah. When I did Place Beyond the Pines, the director, Derek, said to me, hey, I don't want you to work to picture. And I'd already like, I just kind of thought that's the way you were fucking supposed to do it, you know? He's like, no, 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 don't work to picture. Just look at a scene and then write a piece and I'll figure it out later. So there's a lot of trust involved in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I would write, you know, a 10 minute piece for a 30 second scene and he'd use whatever he wanted. But that is because I trusted him <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. and he was a friend of mine and I knew that he would not, you know, butcher uh, my music. Um, in other cases, they they don't want nothing to do with that. It's more like, hey, 30 seconds and, and they want to see it cut to film. Right. Right. And so I had to kind of learn on the fly, you know, with a, with an engineer friend of mine of how to do that. And, you know, that's fun, too. And it is, like you said, it's a challenge. It's cool. But it's a different kind of writing. It's a different kind of writing. You're writing more in memes <laughs> as opposed to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. As opposed Completely. to, yeah, yeah a piece yeah. of music. It's more like you're writing a caption. Yeah. You're writing a, a, cart a little cartoon quote. And, and and you know what? Hey, that's fine. If film writing is writing in memes, then TV writing is writing in emojis. I've I've spoken with Brian Wright. There you go, exactly. Well, I've spoken exactly. with Brian Wrightsell, who did Hannibal. He loved it. And oh, and, I love that dude. You know, yeah, and yeah. and Mark Mothersbaugh, who's done a lot of TV, you know, and feature mm -hmm. stuff. And Mark loves that. You know, so again, it's different. It's horses for courses. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, sometimes parameters are a great thing. Yeah. You know, like hey, I got fifteen seconds to make this point. <laughs> And that's really great. But yeah. other times, it's kind of nice to just go free. And, and I think that if I were asked, I would probably prefer that. I'd rather write 20 minutes of music that's not going to get used, your, you know, maybe 10 seconds of it. But I need to write kind of through composed, meaning, you know, like an LP or like a, like a full novel. Right. Right. I was also thinking of you, as we now get into 1922 a little bit, uh, just a couple thoughts about that with Mike Patton generously giving us his time. I was thinking about, you know, a lot of a lot of young composers get, get into the game and don't realize, oh, the score comes last. I know that's like elementary, my dear, my dear <laughs> yeah. Watson. And it's another widget that, I mean, it's I know it's a cost thing often. It's, you know, it's all these other, you know, but I was thinking of you, you know, this is from Grasp of the Obvious, but I was thinking of Stanley Kubrick and The Shining a little bit, um, ex post facto. Mm -hmm. after watching 1922 because Kubrick had the sound. He would often play the score, and Lynch has done this too, because they have the luxury too, to play the score on the set, oftentimes for the mm -hmm. actors. Yeah. And you know, your yeah. score is so brilliant. I'm, I'm going to say something as if you're not here. The score from 1922 is so brilliant. If you had told me you, you, you composed it before you saw the movie, it would make sense because the acting, the performance, so stitched in, man. Talk a little bit about that. You know, the... Wouldn't it be nice to visit the set or to like... I've been yeah. invited. Yeah, I've had that opportunity before, but I have declined. Hmm. I kind of don't hmm. want to be involved. I think that... I mean, I've had directors ask me like, hey man, can you, you compose some shit like before we film? And I'm like, well, for what? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't a understand. A haiku I, I wrote, yes. To me, it doesn't make sense. But, but yeah. I, I guess inspiration... So what I've done in those cases is not compose music, but I'll send them things that I think maybe would help mm. or use as placeholders or things like that. And, and, and a lot of the times that gets me in trouble because a lot of directors have this thing I call temp love. <laughs> I know what that is. Yeah. Explain temp you know, love you know, to yeah, the okay. listeners. It's yeah. not I just call it that. It's like I've heard of it and then I've experienced it. And, and so you know what it is. Yeah. So I try and send them my own stuff. That's great. You know, examples of things in my catalog, basically, that that might be, you know, appropriate. 
And it usually works. Usually it, it, it helps. It doesn't solve the problem, but it works. One of the great stories, non-stories uh, of Temp Love is <clears throat> Tim Burton and Prince for Batman. So that was, those were some oh of the Temp tracks. I know, man. That's why I said great story, not great story. <laughs> you know, he, the, he used some of the 1999 and uh, Let's Go Crazy, you know, to Temp score some of the sequences and, uh-huh. you know, cut to Prince doing the bat dance. Anyway, different story for a different day. Oh, we'll talk a little bit about 19... 19- yeah, but that pisses a lot of composers <laughs> off. It does. A lot of composers yeah. are not into that at all. Like, I talked to Elfman. He's like, man, I hate when they use my shit. Yeah, yeah. We, we've had Danny and with us, and yeah, Danny... I'm kind of into it. Yeah, I'm kind of... I'm like, yeah, take what you want. Interesting. And maybe it'll take a little bit off my plate <laughs> for the moment. You know? As long as you can afford it, take I'm it. I'm in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Again, I think the cinema dork in you, I'm asking this question, knowing the liturgy of Stephen King movies and scores, and let's locate it around The Shining. And, you know, it's a unique score, but did you think, oh, a, King, a Stephen King movie, even though it's not a Stephen King movie as such, source material like King's need a, needs a certain sound, or were you to, able to beta block Stephen King out when you approached 1922 as a project. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I did. I, to be honest, at, at times I forgot what I was doing. Like I forgot that it was a Stephen King thing. Mm-hmm. Initially, when I talked to the director Zach, and it was his first film, so he was like in the deep waters and whatnot. So I tried to keep out of his hair a lot, just kind of send him stuff, you know, every few days. But in my mind, I was thinking, yo, I don't want to send him like Ligeti or like (laughs) that kind of sounding (laughs) stuff. Right, right. Because it's very, like you say, like that's a signature of, you know, The Shining. And really all he kept saying to me is like, make it Americana. Make it fucking in the plains. You know, Nebraska. Think about Nebraska. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I never think about Nebraska. But (laughs) I had to. (laughs) Yeah. But but, that's a great point, and I think we misconstrue thinking, oh, Mike Patton's probably toured through Nebraska, but do you really know Nebraska? Like, how did you get in touch with that? No, hell no. Yeah, how did you get no, in touch with that? I, I played there like, I don't know. <laughs> Let me think. I played Lincoln maybe two, three times, and Omaha four or five times. But do I know it? Hell no. I don't know it for, for shit. I had to do like a lot of like kind of, you know, digging around and figuring out, okay. And it'd be easy to kind of like just throw in sort of redneck instruments, you know, and banjos and stuff. And I, I didn't want to do that. So I used hurdy-gurdies and, you know, just kind of really, really antique. I really wanted to make sound antique and old and broken, desperate. The, the, the word antique kept popping into my mind, like vintage, postcards, you know, 1930s, 1922, you mm-hmm. know, whatever expanse yeah. of time. I mean, the first track, you know, mea culpa, that refrain or that theme or that motif is so beautiful and it's perfect. It's a perfect... That string thing, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, did you, you Did you read the original novella? just to get mental wallpaper? Uh, actually, I didn't. Hmm. No, I didn't. No, I never read it. I was more kind of interested in the image, and then the instrumentation was fucking me up. So I was just like, okay, what the hell am I going to, you know, how am I going to recreate this this time period, number one, in this place? Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read it. I should <laughs> at some point. Uh, did you? Well, it's funny. Ridley Scott has never read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep to this day. Wow. We had Hampton Fancher on the show and he was slightly insulted. But anyway, um, it is interesting. You know, I'm, I'm just saying just like in an airport somewhere. But it's, it's somehow, it look, it's just about the creative process. Right. Do you, you need to either open your doors or open just the left door and figure out what, what, what do you need, you know, creatively 
to kind of get going. And I had to, actually, I'll be honest with you, man, I intended to read it, <laughs> but only if I was hard up, yeah. like if I didn't have any ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of came up with some stuff, and, and Zach, uh, the director, liked it. And uh, so I just kind of, you know, kept with it. One last thing, you know, talking about Netflix and composing a little bit, the soundtrack is so beautiful. And I was wondering, is there any plumbing anticlimax in having a score that's not a theatrical score? And I don't mean this as a point of criticism. I'm just wondering in your movie, Cinephilia, if a movie score is not composed for cinema, is it a different molecule? Is it a well, different I mean, we're living in a different world now. Like, what is cinema? You know, what is it? Right. It could be something on your phone. It could be, uh, like you say, Netflix. It could be going to the theater. It could be fucking on some on-demand shit on your shitty TV. I mean, it, like, really, the definitions, I think, have changed. And therefore, the music changes, too. And, like, I can't tell someone how to listen to this. You know, I would never do that. Um, but the way I would listen to it, would be like a normal, like I said, what was the outdated word? Record. You know, it's so funny. I was listening to it on my way over here. I had the privilege of getting an advanced copy, and we're about to debut one of the tracks from it. And you know what's funny? This is going to sound totally geeky, man. Which track are you going to use, by the way? Sweetheart Bandits 2, We All Get Caught. Okay, which, nice. Yeah, which that, is, one's, that one's really good. Which is, you know what's, this will be the last time we talk after you hear this, because it's so stupid. I was listening to it in my car, and I loved that experience. You know why? Cars, you know, driving's like a meditation to me. It almost feels like For a sure. score to the moment. You know, I was thinking about this today. How does one listen to a piece of ambience, cinematic ambience and score, just kind of be, just kind of be in your life? And to me, it was driving. I mean, is that too dorky and douchey, you know, to conclude on? No, but it's cool. I mean, it's, I mean, you're, but you're a rare bird. I mean, like yeah, the story of my life. I remember when I finished that score, I was driving with my wife down to LA from San Francisco where I live. Right. So, you know, you got five hours and I wanted to see what the master sounded like on my car speakers and man with a freeway noise and shit, it wasn't really, it didn't, it didn't translate right. very much. Right. <laughs> right. So to me, it's more of a, like a headphone solitary you know, you got to really listen to it. You know, it's not, at least in my ears, background music. So it's, it's difficult, yeah, you know, but yeah. if you can break through and listen to and something like this in the car, you're a better man than me. It, to me, it's a Rorschach test. As you say, you know, it <laughs> yeah. will score without lyrics, prop, without traditional lyric sounds that you, inv yeah, you invoke. I, there's no voice yeah. on this, on this thing. At I all. love it. And I love that, that you, you all stayed away from snatches of dialogue. I love those tropes that you eliminated. It's a gorgeous piece of work, man. And I just want to say, I know Thank you, man. I'm really glad you like it. I know this is your fifth decade now on, on this earth. And I'm going to say something in closing that you probably would never say to me. You are an artist. Um, you know, an artist does the an artist does the things that we don't know how to do. You are more than a plumber. You are an artist. And next time we do this, let's do it in, <laughs> let's do it in person. Okay. Where are you at, man? L.A.? When Charlie Chaplin was asked what his political affiliation was, he said, I'm an internationalist. So let's just say I'm an internationalist. And the next time we meet, the first time we meet, let's do something okay. live and in person. And I'm at your service, man. This was an honor and a thrill. And I wish you nothing but the best in everything you do. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, let's stay in touch for sure. Take care, Mike. Be well and, and have a great day. Hey rest of your 50th year, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Take, take care. Take care, Mike. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
So I think we got all the organs back in the body. I don't see any organs left on the slab here. <laughs> I'll check again. Murmurradio.com. Uh, download the show. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio every week. Social handles, Twitter, Instagram, at MSF Murmur. Email the show, murmurradio at gmail.com. Now, non-drumroll, drumroll, please. The world premiere from the 1922 soundtrack scored by Mike Patton. Here's Sweetheart Bandits 2. We all get caught. See you soon.